More than three years ago, Trevor Mori and I created a blog devoted to the sharing of opinions in a positive space. Trevor is now well on his way to becoming a doctor. He hosts a podcast called This Clerkship Life, committed to helping medical students cope with the rigors and added responsibilities of clerkship. Most recently, he returned from Tanzania, where he volunteered at Together We Can, a women's center NGO located in Moshi. My name is Michael Bradburn, and I am a humanities graduate. Through a passion for baseball and statistics, my enthusiasm has gotten me published on sites such as SB Nation, Baseball Prospectus, and Sports on Earth. I have made appearances on 99.5 Paducah and Beyond the Box Scores In Play podcast. A little while ago, I came across a quote from Bill Nye. Everyone you will ever meet knows something you don't. Together, along with you, we're going to test that. This is Real Small Talk. Hello and welcome to Real Small Talk. My name is Michael Bradburn and I'm joined here as always today by Trevor Mori. Hey guys. And an historian based out of Western Kentucky named Sean J. McLaughlin. How are you today? I am well. How are you guys? We're doing well. Uh, so today's allotted discussion was going to be centered around neo-Nazis and you have a story to share with us? I did have a very interesting encounter with some members of the far right about 20 years ago back in my uh, hometown of Sarnia, Ontario. Um, I, I would have liked to have thought that this is a problem that we no longer have to deal with in today's society, but um, it wasn't a last gasp back then. These guys are back, they're in force, and I didn't mean to encounter them. I did. I may have learned a couple of things that are relevant today, but uh, that remains to be seen. Fair, yeah. Um, so, if you don't mind me asking, I'm going to start with a pretty vague question. Just, uh, like, why is this topic important to you? Is it just important because it keeps coming up? Is this is this just... I mean, if, if I approached you about this podcast a year ago, would you have even brought up neo-Nazis, or is it because uh, the alt-right yeah, movement... Absolutely not. And uh, we, we met some people... Uh, 20 years ago, who basically dedicated themselves to tracking these people down and keeping tabs on them. And, um, you know, that's their decision. I don't want to knock it. But for me, I think it would be like incredibly unhealthy to engage with these people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, I, I put it to bed. It was a very short window in my life. Uh, it was a little bit scary, but it turned out okay in the end. Um, however, you guys all know what happened here in November. Um, we had a candidate elected who had the support, the quite open and vocal support of neo-Nazis and fellow travelers. And these people, as we've all been reading in the news, they're becoming more visible. They're emboldened by Trump's election. And we have to become aware of who they are and what they believe and what they'll do because there was a terrible tragedy when uh, you know a deranged 19 year old walked into a church in uh, Charleston South Carolina and shot nine people if these people start getting out getting active and there's no pushback they become emboldened and it just takes one of them to do something really stupid that gets a lot of people hurt so that's what I wanted to talk about yeah and so uh, I guess 
your story going back 20 years ago, were these people that you grew up with and you knew, or was it just kind of a chance encounter? Maybe if you want to tell your story, um, we can go off that. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, back in the nineties in high school, just, um, punk, I'm not saying I was a punk, but punk rock was a big part of my life, <laughs> the propaganda and we did the warp tour and, um, you know, that the whole anti-racist element of it, even going back further, listening to the Dead Kennedy stuff from the early 80s, like the whole, you know, opposition to organized hate groups thing, that was that was part of the music, so that was part of my life. But personally, there was no engagement with these people. They were just, you know, fictional opponents in, in mm -hmm. music. Yeah. But um, I guess I should backtrack a little bit. Like, when it comes to racism, I, I just, I, I have accepted that the world is going to have racist uncles. I don't <laughs> think they they need to be censored or I don't think they need to be eradicated. I just, what I'm talking about specifically are, you know, violent people who organize in hate groups and mm -hmm. then are oftentimes emboldened to do violent and horrible things to other human beings. So anyway, uh, there's like a huge anti-racist, anti-fascist element in the music I'm listening to in the 90s, but, um, you know, unbeknownst to me, there's there are far right circles in my hometown uh, in Sarnia, and it's um, it tends to be guys who are in the Canadian Forces Reserves, uh, and they tend to be indoctrinating young cadets. And you know of a couple of guys who are get they're they're kind of like becoming enmeshed in this world. Okay. And the reason why they're becoming enmeshed in this world is because you know there's probably not a lot going on that's good in their lives. They've met older guys who've given them a worldview, a sense of purpose. They're giving them stuff to read. And, you know, you know, became aware of that, but it really all came to a head um, in uh, 97 when a, uh, just a, a, a criminally insane member of uh, one of the biggest uh, organized hate groups in Canada came down from Toronto and tried to organize, you know, these kind of disparate, um, teens in various high schools and uh, that's that's kind of when it got scary because this is a guy who had just been in and out of jail his entire life um ultimately his role ended when he took a baseball bat to somebody's head and uh he's in jail indefinitely now hmm. um but yeah you know there were kids who were reading stuff because they were looking for a sense of purpose they found it in the literature and then they got a leader came from out of town who happened to be violent and probably would have steered them in a very dangerous direction had the law not intervened and taken him off, uh, off the table. So I had friends who were threatened um, and uh, you know it was just kind of a very uh, tense few, few months I guess I would say. It's just not really something you're equipped to deal with when you're 17, 18 years old. Yeah absolutely not. Uh, so for people listening who don't know what Sarnia is, it's a relatively rural town in south central uh ontario which is like we consider ontario a like relatively enlightened space it's it's not a i don't know it's not it's not a backwoodsy area like this no it's not it's a town i mean um i when i uh, Michael, you and I met through through Trent University, and uh, yeah. it's the same size as Peterborough. Um, it's it's a it's a it's an industrial town. This is not like a Sarnia related thing. 
Yeah. Uh, right, of course. There was stuff like this going on, like in uh, Toronto and in Ottawa in the early 90s. You would have like pitch street battles, violent street battles between neo-Nazis and uh, anti-Nazis. Um, I would say what I witnessed and was a small part of, this was just a, a tiny, tiny, tiny microcosm of what was probably like a much bigger national problem. If you're from London or Hamilton uh, or Kingston and you grew up during that period in the 90s, I, you go to the right place at the right time. I, you're going to see these, these people. They are out there in, right. in this uh, window. Yeah, so, I, re- oh, I remember uh, I was on a plane recently and I was talking to, by chance, some dude who was sitting beside me and I was wearing a Descendants t-shirt and he was like, oh, I used to put on punk shows in Denver, Colorado somewhere. And he was telling me about one time they put on a show and they had a bunch of neo-Nazis, they were running like a food drive or something and a bunch of neo-Nazis came and uh, spray painted swastikas all over the venue and took their uh, like canned food and threw it through the windows and things. And they had to like, I don't know, they had to go yeah, in that's and it was like these kind of clashes. That's exactly the sort of thing that was happening uh, and like I said, it's it's every major city in Ontario. It's not just my, my right. City. So I think a lot of people are really sheltered about this. I myself included, and I've I, I've not I've gone actively out of my way. I think to read about neo Nazis because I think they're an interesting subsect of people, and I like in a terrible. I don't know. They they don't bring anything good to humanity at all in my opinion and it's really hard for me to cope with even the fact that they exist so i i just wanted to get your idea maybe of uh like do they do the ones you knew do they self-identify as neo-nazi do they use the word nazi uh they're well the big um they would you affiliate with i don't know if they go around calling themselves Nazis, but they affiliate with one group or the other, and that becomes their identity. And um, I don't think they would shirk away from it, certainly. But what what is the profile of somebody who gets drawn to this? It's, it's kind of similar to the profile of somebody who joins um, joins ISIS. It's you're, you're young, uh, you're angry. Um, maybe the social support network is a little bit lacking and you're looking for a sense of purpose. You're, uh, you're just waiting for something to fill the void. And for whatever reason, you read something on the internet or you encountered somebody who passed you along uh, a book, like the Turner Diaries or something like that. And then this becomes your thing. I think for people who are, kind of, who are you know, self-content uh, and are going somewhere in their lives, they're, they're immune to this. And because of that, I just I feel like I should have some empathy for these people, and I know some of them do walk out of it. Um, I'll tell you, the funny thing is, um, the primary recruit who was in my high school, who was just enthralled by this heritage front guy from Toronto, um, he dropped out of the movement when he discovered that he was part Chippewa. There we go. He was part Native. So, uh, and then he completely renounced it and just turned on and dying. Um, I, I just hate to say these people are irredeemable. Um, they go to a very dark place because there's an emptiness in their life. So I think we need to acknowledge that, but 
man, that part of me that's capable of understanding and empathy, it's, it is very, very small. Because this is just one of the most evil worldviews and ideologies that you can, you can pick up and put out there. It's just, I can't believe that there are people in 2016 who are in the KKK or who are in, you know, fellow traveler groups. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with the empathy as well. I, I, you know, it's hard to come down hard on a group that you so fundamentally disagree with, but yeah, I, I find them, I find them interesting to study from afar because I just find it so bizarre that somebody goes that far to, I don't know, to, in hatred. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to like you're saying there's one kind of primary, I don't know, person who's going to take the role as I'm the guy who's going to organize this in whatever town. Um like were you close with that person? Do you know kind of Oh no, absolutely. I, mean, I like no. anyone anyone who uh got recruited by the guy from Toronto, they were not. They were, you know, three people removed from me. They weren't right. I didn't lose friends. You know, we were all, like I said, listening to propaganda, and uh, nobody in my circle would have would have gone that way. However, you know, you know somebody who's in cadets, and then that person who's in cadets knows somebody in cadets who's circulating this Turner Diary conspiracy-minded okay. white supremacist literature, and some of them start talking. Some of them start talking because they know that you're on the opposite side of the line. Uh, right. Some of them start talking because, um, not just because they want to help you out or help you become better informed, but they see this information as a means of becoming part of your social circle. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was for the most part it was um, a recruitment drive that went through the military, um, okay. not officially sanctioned, of course, mind you. Right. It was this was the kind of people that they were looking for? Cadets, you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old. That's right. that's who these guys wanted. So were these people showing up at punk shows and stuff? Uh, well, that was the threat. The um, the police did get involved in our case. There was an incident. So basically, just backing it up a little bit, um, Sarnia is um, uh, it, it's like a heavily industrial town, and because of that, it's become maybe slightly more diverse than than some kind of. Uh, places of similar size in Ontario because you draw engineers from all over the place. Mm -hmm. So in my high school, we had friends who were, you know, South, South Asian and, and various backgrounds. And there was a girl that we knew she was out with some friends at McDonald's and a couple of these cadets, they'd been listening to all the speeches and, uh, from their recruiter and, uh, they tried to pick a fight and uh, some poor McDonald's, uh, employee had to intervene here, but it kind of, I mean, like if you're a white person, you do have the luxury of just ignoring this because you're not going to be targeted. However, um, that's not my character. That's not the kind of people my friends were. So we organized a group and the whole idea was, um, education, find out what all these symbols mean, find out who's affiliated to what group, keep tabs on people in the sense of swapping information, really just getting information from people in cadets about these guys. Right. And the whole idea was um, when a friend went out who was likely to be a target, we'd roll en masse. And if mm -hmm. these guys wanted to pick a fight, it was they were going to have to fight with a group of us. And 
Um, you know, I, I played football in high school. I wasn't necessarily afraid of fighting with these guys. I didn't particularly want it to do it, but the whole idea that, um, you know, like their last year in this town, my friends would have to stay home on the weekend and they wouldn't be able to go out and do stuff because they were afraid of running into these neo-Nazis on the street. I, I couldn't handle that. I wanted to confront it. I didn't want to run away from it. So, um, there were incidents. Uh, the police eventually got wind of this. Uh, CSIS got wind of this. Wow. My, uh, a buddy of mine, Mike, uh, he, uh, made contact with some members of anti-racist action in Toronto. And, uh, I did not really feel comfortable working with them. I found out that, um, one of Mike's contacts in Toronto was a guy who was affiliated with the, the Tamil Tigers as a lawyer, as a legal mm -hmm. re representative. And I just thought, you know what, <laughs> I'm not endorsing anyone else's political agenda. I just want to get some information about mm -hmm. who these groups are and what they're doing and who they're affiliated with. Um, so anyway, CSIS tapped my friend Mike's phone. And it was pretty funny because every time he made a call or we called him, there was a very audible click on the line. Oh. <laughs> it was just the most amateurish uh, <laughs> operation possible. But there was a, so there was a, like a, there's this like tense period of several weeks between the first incident at the McDonald's and then both sides start reinforcing in preparation for a street battle. And we know that the guy who's leading the other group is criminally insane. He's been in jail for assault on many different occasions, uh, and he's not afraid to throw down. So this was what we were walking into. Uh, there was a show, and there was an ARA presence at the show downtown, and uh, the police were all over it. They got wind of it, and uh, the, uh, I guess the Mortal Kombat battle on the streets uh, in uh, downtown Sarnia never came to pass. And then shortly thereafter, the recruiter from Toronto uh, he went to a party uninvited and somebody asked him to leave uh, and he took a baseball bat to that guy's head and he ended up going to jail on assault charges. So it ended up being something that was completely unrelated to, uh, to Nazism that took him out of the game. And at that point, things went calm. It was just, it was like a storm that blew through and it was incredibly intense and uh, it was dangerous and then it was over. So, right. Interesting. It was a strange time. And so from Sarnia, now you're in Kentucky? Oh, I've, I've been many, many places, many places along the way. Yeah. Um, and, and so you were talking at the, at the beginning about um, how you're worried about this kind of thing starting up again. Um, is there anything in particular that is uh, worrying you right now? Uh, yeah, well, I live in a place that's called the, the friendliest small town in America. It's a, it's, it's a label that is well-deserved. Uh, however, there is a Klan presence here, uh, and they put signs up. Um, and if you wanted to, you could laugh at it, because there's all sorts of things. They, they say that uh, transgender people should go, uh, go poop in the woods or whatever, stuff like that. It, it's like you could laugh it off if you want. Are these like billboards or the lawn signs or lawn signs? Yeah. Okay. Um, on the campus of the university where I currently work, uh, a, a group that is far right, if not openly neo-Nazi, they um, hoodwinked um, a bureaucrat into renting them a table 
and they spent a couple of days openly recruiting. Uh, like at a student club fair kind of thing? They, they, they have this innocuous sounding name. I don't even want to repeat it to give them any credibility, okay. but they had an innocuous sounding name. And it was a guy who said, can my party have a table? And was the, was so, the word front in it? No. I find so often. No. No? Okay, it was the, the traditional it's word. Okay, you, don't have to, you don't have to say it if you don't want to. I, I was uh, just curious. Uh, it was the traditional workers' party. And uh, I'm sure they had a big laugh because they said, we are looking to um, just set up an information table for the traditional workers' party. And I'm, my assumption here is they went to some 20-year-old student worker right. and filled out a form either 20 bucks and nobody thought they didn't go uh, asking to um you know reserve a table for the american nazi party right um you know it, it's out there um uh like i i i am uh like there's not i don't want to invest too much of my time in this frankly like I, i'm not i'm not organizing against these people i'm not rallying the people that try and drive them out of town I frankly, I, I can even tolerate their existence in the understanding that for some of them, it's a fad. Uh, some of them will walk away from it, but they've become emboldened. They've stepped out of the shadows. And when people like this step out of the shadows, then I think we do have a problem. Because if society doesn't push back and hold the line, they will turn our communities toxic. And I don't want that to happen. Yeah. I guess I wanted to gear the conversation that way anyways. So what, um, what do you think the correct answer is? Do you think uh, members of society like you 20 years ago, like 20 years ago you, I mean, uh, just need to take it upon themselves and, and threaten violence or... No, I, I, never I never threatened violence. I mean, uh, sorry, against... I don't mean to... Uh, I simply, my my whole feeling on this 20 years ago was that if somebody attacked a friend of mine because they happened to be South Asian, yeah. I would step in the middle. That that was my position on it. Right. Um, today, uh, I love what they did down at the University of Texas uh, when uh, Richard Spencer, who's, uh, he's been all over the news as a yeah. you know, self-styled spokesman for a new generation of American fascists. He wanted to come down there and recruit on campus and the university uh, filled the football stadium at a counter rally. And it was just a, um, just a tremendous show of, uh, of numbers. That I think is tremendous. Um, if these people are ignored and if they're allowed to operate in the open, uh, they'll continue recruiting and they'll grow. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, in Canada, we don't see anything like lawn signs of people trying to openly recruit, and uh, it, it, it doesn't seem like such a visual uh, picture. Like it's not as as talked about openly as about. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've been picking snippets up here and there in the news, and um, there there have been pamphleting campaigns uh, in on various university campuses. Uh, there have been signs up in. Uh, Vancouver and other places, um, directing people towards alt-right websites. Um, are these openly neo-Nazi activities? Um, well, uh, it's gateway activity, let's put it that way, if it's not outright Nazi activity. So I 
don't think Canada is immune from this at all. I don't think there's there's any way that you can avoid the just. I mean, this is a country of 300 plus million people. Civility has gone out the window. Uh, people, uh, boundaries, previous boundaries of good taste are, they're out the window. And there's no way that's not going to spread up north. And we're already seeing signs in various cities in Canada, like I just mentioned. This is, this is coming. I don't think it's going to be as big of a problem for you north of the border, but it, it's coming. So am I being willfully ignorant in the fact that I don't run into this as much in my life? Or is it a result of me being, I mean, I'm white male. So, I mean, I, like you said earlier, it's very easy to ignore this problem because it doesn't directly affect me. Um, it just uh, indirectly affects my view of social justice and just uh, overall well-being of, of life. But... So, like, what, how do we get this in front of more people t so that they realize it's, it's at least becoming a problem, if not already a problem? Um, I, I think this, I, again, I just think oh, people have to be aware that this is, we're not simply talking about um, a bunch of people in internet chat rooms, which you can never police, which I don't even think there's any need to eradicate. Uh, but when these people start organizing, when they step out into the light, uh, when they have demonstrations in front of Queen's Park, if there's 10 of them there, there needs to be 10,000 of us saying, no, you're not going to find any recruits in this community. You don't accept your beliefs. You're wrong. Um, I think when they are not challenged, they become emboldened and they grow. And frankly, for every flyer they send out, uh, well, so sorry, for every thousand flyers they send out, 995 people will throw them in the garbage, but then five people will, will be attracted to it. That's why uh, the center has to push back. We, we need to be aware of these people, what they're trying to do, because when their groups grow, they start doing things um, and people can get really hurt. Um, the example, the, the shooter in South Carolina, Dylan Roof, he followed Jared Taylor, who is uh, he's a he's a patrician, gentlemanly sort of racist, um, with a who has a group that has an innocuous sounding name, uh, but but he's a hate monger. He's the polite face of American racism, and if people don't push back, um, then somebody deranged is going to fall sway to these views, and they're going to do something terrible. So I find it really interesting. I, um, so I was a history major and that's how we met. Um, I find it interesting somewhat because I feel like at least some of my history professors coached me through the belief that um, meeting opposition with, with um, direct, I don't know, meeting, meeting someone you disagree with with direct opposition only galvanizes the moderate is what gets used surrounding the, the communist uprising in Russia. So, so I guess I'm interested to know why you think this should be met with um, derision or direct opposition. And if you even hold the belief that uh, opposition does galvanize the moderate. Um, I, 
if you want to talk about uh, historical actors, uh, I'm all for the George Kennan approach, containment. Um, the only thing that's going to intimidate these people is, is, a, is a show of force. It's a very large group of people who are willing to say, no, we don't accept your beliefs, and we're not going to allow you to run amok in our communities. So... Is that your... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, what I want, whenever they have a rally of 10 people, I want to see a rally of 1,000 people saying, no, you're not, your views, not necessarily you are not welcome in our community, but your views are not welcome in our community. The one thing right. that we've seen, my sleepy little town, the clan put up a couple of posters, and now you'll see hundreds of posters saying, no place for hate. So people who don't agree with that are making their voices heard. Um, it's, I mean, this is, it's a problem for like when it gets, when it crosses that line between like political activity and vaguely free speech-ish activity and criminal behavior, that's for the police. Okay, that's for them to deal with privacy right. and get involved. But right. when we're talking about pamphleting and recruitment drives and rallies, you got to turn up. It's yeah. not fun. And nobody wants to do it. And like I said, if you're if you're white, you can ignore it if you want. But I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of people who are not white, uh, who are seeing these people um, who are trying, who, who say that they're not, that they're like, they're vermin. They need to be eradicated. They need to be eliminated. And I, I just can't imagine how that would make you feel. Um, Absolutely. I don't think those people should be intimidated. And I won't let up anyone do it. That's not my, my character. And so you, you're talking a bit at the beginning about trying to find a sense of purpose and, you know, feeling lost or disconnected with the world. And I don't know, I just, in, in the small town area where you grew up, like I, I, where I grew up, there wasn't a lot of community, you know, activities to do like, no, these people who like can't go out and join sports teams or start bands or do these things do you think there's a role for the community itself to get behind creating more supports for people who you know just need something to do uh yeah and we because of um, what's going on in syria and iraq we're actually starting to get academics involved in the process of uh, de-radicalizing people who are drawn over to uh, uh, islamic terrorist ideologies and i think it's as i said earlier I think it's pretty much exactly the same reasons that people go to that extreme, that people go to the Nazi extreme. And because of that, I think the same playbook for deprogramming these people or the same program for harm reduction, harm avoidance, I think it's going to work on both sides. So and, um, we are, I heard some stuff on the radio this morning from uh, NPR, French sociologists working on a, on a program on this. Um, there's a way. There's a way to steer steer people in a more positive direction. And yes, I definitely think the community can, can help. Um, it's just like if it goes unchallenged, uh, our, our community becomes a very toxic place. And I, I just I don't think anyone would like to live in a town where you had a small cell of ten or twenty or thirty very virulent uh, Muslims who are intolerant towards everyone else out recruiting. We wouldn't stand for that. I don't think we should stand for the Nazi uh, side of this. Either. Well said. 
Yeah, I'm against Nazis. Bold statement. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll wrap it up there then, uh, Sean, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. All right, thanks, guys. It's been uh, it's been actually fun talking through this stuff. It's been a while. You're the yeah, first. Thanks. The first you're the first uh, people outside of um, you know my group of friends who were there back at the time that, that uh, I've actually talked to this stuff. Talked about this stuff. I think I think it's really interesting. I mean, it's uh, that that I don't know. I like I've heard of neo Nazis and I've heard of the KKK and I've heard you know from just kind of like on TV or through like word of mouth, but I've never kind of heard the stories. And I remember being on that plane and hearing this guy tell me like people are throwing things through windows and this is like a huge violent problem. And it's easy to, to kind of, I don't know, lose that when you weren't actually involved and there and seeing things And it. It's interesting getting your perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there has to be, uh, there has to be, a way to deal with this. I'm generally optimistic about life. Um, if things are looking pretty dark here now, um, it, it will get better. And outrage, I think, is the key. Maybe you yes. Have to stand up for things that um, you simply can't tolerate and have no place in your community. This is one of them. Absolutely. Good to know. Good advice. Thanks so much. Okay. Cheers, fellas.